Phoenix Founders Podcast is sponsored by Arizona Venture Development Corp. AVC invests in early stage tech startups and funds across multiple sectors, including software, while providing access to equity capital for underrepresented founders and communities in Arizona. Welcome to part two of the Phoenix Founders interview with Nareet Rubenstein. In the first part of our conversation, we learned that Nareet faces the same challenges as every other software founder. Raising capital is hard. Building a customer base is hard. Building a team and culture is hard. But Nareet has a trick for keeping her company steady and her eye on the prize. Her obsession with metrics. Let's get back into it. So for your A round, what's your plan? I don't know if I have a plan. I don't know if I want to raise an A round. Oh, I love that honesty. Yeah. Well, also what I love about that is you've built a business that is not dependent on outside capital, right? That's the thing, that's the thing that I love about that story is you control when you raise capital. You're not on the capital raising treadmill. And capital is a tool that should fuel your growth when you want to fuel your growth right. and how you want to fuel your, fuel your growth. Right. So I think the underlying story is you clearly built something efficient that isn't dependent on nonstop outside capital. Is that fair? Is that? Yeah. I mean, would life be easier if I had, you know, 10 more million dollars in the bank right now? Absolutely. Does, you know, one of the questions I think you guys kind of posed earlier was what's the thing that keeps me up at night? It's this constant to raise or not to raise, right? We're, we're growing. We could be growing a lot faster if we had more money, but there's so many aspects there's so many trade-offs with each approach, really, right? If, if if I focused on raising a Series A right now, all of my time and attention would be going towards raising a Series A. That's true. I might lose control of the company or the board. Uh, the every element of an investor you're introducing to your company changes the different aspects of the company. Uh, you know, and so those those are the trade-offs. Obviously, the benefits are you have a lot of money and you can you can test more and, and make more mistakes. And cause I think a lot of being a startup founder is just making mistakes and figuring out which ones you can spin into positive things. But, and then the trade-off is you control your own destiny. You, uh, you don't have to raise, but then you're growing much slower. Like, you know, I, I don't think we're growing as fast as we could be growing had, if we had more money. Uh, but it's, there is definitely a sense of like every, team member I have right now is committed to our success and feels like they own a part of what's happening and is very connected, not just with the product, but also with the company and the culture and the people of the company uh, and definitely our members, right? And so I think you lose a little bit of, of that when you start to raise big money or you get into this constant, like once you get into that mode, you're, you're expected to continue in that mode. And even I'm expected to continue in that mode. Like our our investors want to see me raising more money, but honestly, I think I'm more likely to take on debt at this point than 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 equity, given how efficient we've become with our business. And this is an interesting inflection point. I think every founder of a high growth software company hits this point, right? For all the reasons you just laid out so clearly, which is path A, I get this. Path B, I get this. Which is the right answer? And how are you working through that? I, I'm, I mean, it's just day by day, right? Like there are some days where I 
I'm like, maybe we should be raising. I mean, right now it's not even on the table. Like the, the market is just so messed up, but let's say things start to pick back up and valuations are increasing again. And to me, it's a little bit more maybe being opportunistic about it, right? I might meet an investor that I really can. It's always been about the people for me. Like every investor on my cap table, I like. I only have five and I like them all. And uh, and I have often taken a lower valuation to have the right investor on my cap table. And so if I meet an investor that I feel is aligned with what we're trying to do and I feel it's the right time for the company to be raising money and it's going to really help us get to the next big milestone that we need to get to, then I'd be open to it. But opening up a series A and starting to talk to 50 investors and making it a numbers game and just taking the first term sheet that I get and trying to pit it against other term sheets to get more money. I just, I have no interest in playing that game right now. And that could shift. That's just where my head space is today, but that might change in a year. So much wisdom on and what on what you've said here. I mean, uh, you should like who's on your cap table. You should like your investors. There's a lot of headwinds and headaches and heartaches when you when that doesn't exist. So good for you for making sure you uh, have not tried to optimize for the highest valuation with people you don't like. You, you know, end up like, paying for that. You end up paying for that for sure. You end sure. up paying more for that. You know, you're, you, you've said you could grow faster with capital. Your growth has been pretty good from what I, from what I know about your business. Um, pick any measure you want, but uh, how, how do you think about your growth to date and how do you think about growth in the next you know, year or two like how, how do, with, with, with or without capital? So our user base is definitely growing. We have a free product and that helps since our user base is growing easily 25% month over month, which is, you wow. know, which is pretty strong. Our, our revenue is, that's what I'd like our revenue to be doing. Our revenue is probably growing 2x year over year. And I would like that to be four to five X year over year, right? It's especially at the phase that we're in. I mean, we're, we're, I feel like we're still young enough where we should be growing a lot more um, from a revenue perspective. And that's my constant kind of, you know, beating myself up. Like we should be growing faster. We should be growing faster. We should be growing faster. And so there's a lot of aspects of the business that we're growing that are, that are doing our user base is growing. People love our product. Our reviews are phenomenal. Uh, And that makes me really, really proud. Probably is second, I'm, I'm the most proud of my team. I'm the second most proud of the fact that like people love what we're building. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's always metrics that we feel we should be doing better. We've, we've definitely mastered our, our CPA cost per acquisition. We're really big on testing and, uh, and measuring. And I think that's helped us be efficient, which has been critical to growth sustainably, sustainable growth. I love sustainable growth. It's one of my themes in life. Um, you've had that. I mean, by the way, doubling your revenue every year doesn't suck, Nareet. It's pretty. It's doesn't pretty suck. awesome. Could and be plus, yeah, stop plus your, yourself up. Yeah. Plus, your member, your members are growing like crazy. What do you think the membership looks like if that's a, if that's public and it's okay if it's not? But what do you think your membership base looks like? Uh, well, today and maybe eighteen months from now. So today, it's uh, we're over two hundred fifty thousand users, a quarter wow. million, and within. The next 12 months will be well over a million users. It's amazing. So efficient, efficient uh, customer acquisition, uh, high customer growth rate, and doubling revenue every year. Yeah. Sounds like a great business. It is a good business. We need to, we need to hone in on the monetization of the, of the customer base a little bit more, right? So it's getting better. We, we measure kind of average revenue per user pretty regularly, lifetime value on the free user versus a paid user. And, um, and you know, it's get we're getting there. 
We're definitely getting there. But the best part is like the best ideas aren't even coming from me anymore. That's the best part. They're coming from my team. And you said you're most proud. The number one thing you're proud of is your team. Yeah. The second thing is the product. Yeah. I'd love to talk about team and any lessons you have on on hiring talent and building team. Before we do, just to summarize a couple things that I love about what you said for for the audience here. Um, uh, For those listening, Narita is clearly metric driven. You talked about trying to drive, uh, you know, you're driving driving down customer acquisition costs. You're driving up lifetime value. You're clearly a super metric driven person and building learning there. I think there's a lot to learn for founders about being metric driven and cash efficient and not dependent on raising outside capital to, uh, to do that. So good for you for doing that. But there is a caveat there because we did raise outside capital yes, to yes, get yes. to this point. Right. And I don't think we could have done that. Right. Like I, I did not have the financial means to fund us to this point and I needed the financial, uh, I needed to raise what I raised to get to where we are. And so I don't regret raising up until this point, but whether or not I continue to raise, I think is TBD. Yeah. Well, it's nice to be able to control the timing yeah. too. Yeah. Let's talk about team building because I know that's something you're most proud of, but let's talk about any lessons you've got around uh, hiring, talent attraction, retention, building culture. I'd love to hear any lessons you have on on that. What's What are some of the th- you know lessons you've learned or mistakes you've made? Anything you want to share there? Let's take a break here and hear again from our sponsor, Arizona Venture Development Corporation. I'm here with Andy Lombard, president and CEO of AVC. Andy, how is AVC helping propel underrepresented founders here in the state? It's near and dear to my heart, Greg. We we started this um, really trying to target underrepresented founders, women, um, people of color, underrepresented communities, economically disadvantaged, etc. And we, we got off to a really good start. So of our eight first investments, we're currently right now 67% are underrepresented owned, which is greater than 51%. Wow. And we're really happy about that. But as we start to look at the long tail of that, we know that we're going to run into a pipeline issue of talented young founders that are underrepresented. So we wanted to focus on that early um, and continue that long tail, five to 10 year process of starting to develop new talent. We're doing that through um, our Venture Institute and we have a, a program called Venture Rise. Uh, The way to understand it is simply taking individuals that are underrepresented and teaching them the venture capital playbook and helping them understand how to enter into uh, the venture capital market, either as a founder, a new funder, or or a participant in a startup. I love it. Something I say all the time, you are compounding talent and capital right here in Arizona. And thank you for all your efforts in that regard. Thank you so much. It's uh, We believe we can just tap into existing talent and make uh, the best of that. So we're really happy to start to do that. So the I stole a page out of Mark Benioff's book from Salesforce. So I was employed 200 at Salesforce. And uh, he really honed in. He's, he's the best CEO I've ever worked for. And I always say he's he's the only one I learned what to do from versus what not to do. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to write him a letter and let him know that. But uh, the for him, it was number one is the team. You first and foremost, you build a team, you take care of that team, and then they will take care of the customer, and then that will help you create a good business. And so for me, that's really something that throughout my career I have done. 
whether I manage teams of 20 people or teams of 400 people at Nextiva, I managed a team of 400 people and it was all about the team for me. And so here being able to hand select every single member of my team, uh, you know, you take it a little bit more seriously, but one of the lessons I had to learn in building a team was one of my mottos has always been hire fast, fire fast. Don't, don't spend months trying to find the perfect candidate that f- checks off all the boxes and does all these, you know, s- you know, you can do all these different tests to see if they fit culturally or not. I, I never, su- I never su- prescribed, subscribed to that, but the, but then I said, okay, you hire someone quickly, but you have to be quick to let that person go because you're doing a disservice to the company and to the person if you're just dragging it on. And I did that. I, I brought that with me to Dovely and it doesn't work when it's a small team and when the company is not yet generating a ton of revenue because then it creates this sense of instability. So not everyone understands. The higher fast, fast part works, the higher but the fire fast, fast, fast is a little harder. But then harder. when they see that, you know, within a year or six months, you've let four people go, they start to wonder like, am I next? It doesn't right? create psychological safety yeah, for them, right? Exactly. And so that's one of the hard lessons I had to learn uh, in, in building my team. But one of my favorite aspects about any job I've had, and it's, it's even more true with Dovely, is I tell my team members, you can go as far or you can, you can do as much or as little as you want in this job. You can propel your career 10x or you can just be a, a nine to five, you know, uh, uh, bad you know, typing in a, a nine to five, like checking in the hours, right? Punch in, punch, punch out. Punch in, punch out, right? And uh, and if there's any role or function that you think you want to be doing, we will give you the opportunity if you've proven that you deserve to be here. Uh, and that's not, it's a bad way of saying it. It's not if you deserve to be. If When I worked at Salesforce, we were so few people and we came every day and every single person gave their all because they didn't want to let the other team members down. That was the culture I was trying to foster, right? I, I wanted people to be competitive for themselves and bring their best self to the table every day because they cared about the team. So it's a sense of like competitiveness where you try to be your best person, but at the same time, you are a team and you have to do whatever it takes to lift up the greater team. And that's, that's a little bit of like a tough balance to strike, but that's what I had at Salesforce and, and that's what I wanted to create at Dovely. I love that. Have you created it? I think I have. I mean, I think it's for my team to say, but I think I have, you know, I would say every person, sometimes I'm like my team member sees a metric over the weekend in our report and they're like on Slack and I'm like, wow, I almost think sometimes they're more worried about things or care more about things than I do. Right. Which is, which is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, you've got to build on on the metric front. The I've written about this a little bit on LinkedIn, but you can't have the only the founder or CEO care about the math of the business. That has to permeate where that's how you get ownership in the whole business yep. and how how the business really starts to compound in value. I think as you drive that ownership of the metrics throughout the entire organization. Mm-hmm. And I believe in everyone being an owner of the business too. And you know when we're when we're cash stra- strapped. We can't give higher raises, but I always I give equity grants whenever I can to to people that deserve it, right? To people that I I always think like if this person left, would I still want them to be have equity in my company? And if the answer is no, 
then you really shouldn't have that person on your team. It's a good barometer. I'm curious, did you learn anything about team building from your time in the Israeli armed forces? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. In the Israeli army, you learn all about teamwork. And when you join, when I joined the army, you you everybody comes together and everything is neutralized, right? Like, it doesn't matter your financial status. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter... You're, if you're Sephardic or you're, right? Like none of that matters. Everybody's on the same playing field. Uh, and, and that's a very humbling lesson. Uh, and you learn, I learned a lot about teamwork. I would say that's probably the, the number one lesson, although there are a lot of lessons I learned from the army, right? Resiliency, resourcefulness, a lot of the same things you get from being an immigrant too. I think I got from, from being in the army for sure. And you taught in the... In the Air Force, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. What did you teach? I taught, uh, it's it's kind of like technical English. So the, the main language in flight is English, like the international language of flight is English. But the pilots had to know not just how to talk, right? They needed to know how to explain every aspect of the plane, every technical aspect of the plane. And it, it was a language I had to learn. Like, it was the nuts and bolts of the different parts of the plane that you had to learn. And so I taught the Flight Academy cadets different aspects of kind of how to communicate in air in English. You're like the, uh, you're like the, the female equivalent of the Dos Equis guy on the commercial. You're the most interesting person <laughs> in the world here. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the Kelly McGillis. That's what I always get oh. is the, from Top Gun. I'm like, oh, that, yeah. this experience Way is incredible. Than Kelly no, yeah, the Israeli yeah. military experience plus sales force employee two, number 200 plus your green dot experience plus your, Doubly company building experience is super impressive. I've been very like lucky in terms of different opportunities and and just choosing to go to certain places, right? Like I, I again I attribute this to my husband. Like my husband said, you have to go work for Salesforce. And I was like, who I didn't no one knew who they were. Right. You not, know? A, not a two hundred yeah. employees. And they recruited me because I was brought over from Israel from a company I was working for in Israel, brought me over to San Jose to help with a merger that they they did with a small CRM company. And so Salesforce was looking for CRM experience and they recruited me and I was like, I don't know, who are these guys? He was like, you should do it, you have to do it. And I was like, okay. You know, I was 25, like I had nothing to lose at that point. So uh, I took a chance and it was, God, it was seriously the best company ever. I don't know what it's like today, but it was it was seriously the best company I've ever worked for. So Amazing. you've been a startup joiner. You've yes. had that experience, yep. the other side. Did you actually fly planes? In, no. Uh, no. No. You learned how to, but no. still. I was a passenger for, many times, but I didn't yeah. fly. Yeah. What else did you learn from the Israeli military that uh, you've brought into entrepreneurship? Um, so definitely the team building, attention to detail, right? Like the importance of attention to detail and how sometimes the smallest detail can make the, the biggest difference. Um, the, it's, it was all about the people though. I mean, it, it was truly like all about the people, right? I, I taught flight Academy cadets that were considered kind of the most elite people in, in the Israeli army. And, but for me, it was much more about like the people working in the kitchen and the people, you know, driving around in the base. And, um, it, it was just like, you're one big family on this closed base. You don't go home on the, you know, on the weekend. You're there during the week and you're constantly with the people that are working to keep the base running. And, and so I think it just, it just taught me to value everybody as an individual, 
which I actually think my mom probably taught me to do as well, but you know, it, it definitely brought it home. So dad taught you to value a dollar. Mom taught you to value the people and you brought that together. Yeah. My mom is the people person. My dad is like the business savvy, like ruthless, just, you know, business. So it's definitely. (laughs) Oh, thank goodness for awesome parents. Yeah. 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 I'm, like I said, I'm lucky. Right. You have a great support system, yeah. it sounds like. Before we wrap up, anything we should talk about that we haven't talked about you want to share on the Dovely journey or anything else that the that our audience should know? And um I'll ask Yeah, I mean questions. I think, you know, it's a very hard journey and there's a lot of doubt that that happens on a regular basis. And I think it's just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Like it's the only the only the only way to be successful is not to quit, right? And so you've just got to keep going, even when you're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I get offers to to run companies and make a ton of money, and it's, like, so enticing sometimes when you're like, I haven't made this little money in 20 years. Like, you know, it'd be really nice to have some money right now. But it's it, there's no way I'm walking away from what I built, right? And so I think it's just just keep going. I think for anyone out there who's questioning, dreading, and um, and even for me, like taking the step to build the company was a bit, it was the first time I've really invested, I've really taken a bet on myself. I love that. Just keep going. So two closing questions for you here, unless you have anything else, Ellie. Go for it. First of all, I always want to ask someone what they're most grateful for. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in gratitude. You've shared a bunch of all of that, this already in the podcast, but Anything you want to say about gratitude or something you're thankful for? I mean, honestly, if I had to think of one person I'm most grateful for in my life, it's my husband. Um, I think that even though as women, like you said, we're always in the driver's seat, like if there ever was a 50-50 equal partner, it, it, it would be my husband. And way more beyond beyond just being a partner in the home with the kids, he he pushes me and puts me on this pedestal that I can do anything, right? And so when you have that support system of like, you can do anything and you are going to be amazing. And you're going to, you know, when you constantly are being told that by the person that you live with and you see the admiration in their eyes, it's makes a really big difference. The confidence of the people that love us is a huge tailwind. Huge. I love that. Yeah. Um, All right. Second closing question. Uh, The best tacos in the world are in Arizona. And there's lots of good places. I personally don't think there's a best place. I think there's just a bunch of incredible places. Agree. So if you're going to go eat tacos, where is it? And part of it is I'm getting hungry, so <laughs> I, I need a lunch recommendation here. So my, my absolute go-to is just tacos. Um, but they don't necessarily have the best tacos. They, they just overall have really, really good food and diversity and interesting tacos and really fresh place? meat. I don't know this Some place. on 32nd in Indian school. My team jokes, it's like we go there all the time. But... Um, but I would say, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's like H-U-I-C-O, Hucho, Hucho. Or, oh, okay. Yes. I, they we just heard about that. They yeah. are, they have solid, like if you want like the authentic, like you get in Mexico tacos, I would say that's probably the most authentic, most authentic. In Arcadia? No, it's, oh. it's more like on, um, it's more kind of like south of the Biltmore Okay. Area. Like I think around 16th Street, but further south. Okay. My Spanish is terrible, but is it Huecho maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That okay. sounds about right. I didn't want to like embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it, but clearly you don't care. We website. are. This is, we're going to get these in the show notes. 
Nareen, thank you so much for sharing your uh, experience and so many pearls of wisdom in your Dovely journey and also just your life in general. So we appreciate you, appreciate the company you're building right here in Phoenix. And thanks for being an awesome example of a Phoenix founder. Thanks for having me. If you liked this episode, let us know and subscribe to hear more at phxfounders.com. 